that time was it's going to serve as a reference point for me for the rest of my life knowing that sometimes I've got to remember why I'm doing this is to spend more time with my family and yet oftentimes it doesn't work out that way. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. As we've seen during the series, the plans and fortunes of many have been heavily altered due to the pandemic. Some with projects in the works for years had to either put them on hold or let go of them entirely. Others pushed on and, to the surprise of many, opened a restaurant during a time when restrictions have had a stranglehold on the industry. Andrew Batura is the owner of the Gresham, Popolo Kitchen and Bar, Walter's Steakhouse, Libertine, and new restaurant, Naga Thai. Andrew, sounds like you're a pretty busy person. Yes, uh, it has certainly been a, a very interesting period as, uh, uh, recently. So um, opening a new restaurant uh, at the end of the, well, what hopefully will be towards the end of the COVID period as we know it, um, has been, uh, has been with, with its own, um, obviously, obstacles and, and, and distractions, but um, but also feels like a wonderful way to kind of kick off bit of more normalcy as well I think and at a wonderful time in Brisbane when uh, you know it's spring it's warming up and uh, everyone's ready to get outdoors. Well it's a project you've had on the go for a period of time what were your concerns when the pandemic landed given that you'd been working on this restaurant concept um, and hadn't launched it yet were you, did you have concerns over the potential future of it? Oh absolutely um, it was very very close to being signed just prior to COVID um, the lease hadn't actually been executed at that point, but we had a, we had a very um, strong agreement at that point. The concept had taken on a life of its own, which they tend to do when um, when you when you're feeling strongly and you have I think you have some good ideas and uh, and I really really wanted to wait and see how the COVID period panned out before we decided to move ahead. But I really felt strongly that as soon as we had some sort of clarity around this business. Uh, around the hospitality industry, in, in particular in Queensland, and how it was going to uh, how it was going to end up playing out, I guess I really um, I felt like I really didn't have much. The opportunity was so good, the location was so good. I thought the idea and the concept is so good that I really felt like sometimes you've got to take that little bit of a jump when uh, when 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 you might not feel overly comfortable about it, and I felt like this is all I do. <laughs> I'm nearly 50. It's a great opportunity. I'm ready to to keep going with confidence with what I do, and I hope that um, I hope that I've I've made the right choice at the end of the day. We have quite a few venues, and they're all very different. What led you in the direction to do Naga? Uh, well, Naga was um, the what I, what I generally like to do is uh, have a look at a venue, and then once I see the venue, that's when I try to kind of imagine what type of venue would be or concept would fit in that space and it's what we've done with all our venues uh Popolo, the Gresham particularly in a beautiful old heritage building and in fact most of the most of the uh the venues that I've, I've done in Brisbane have been in heritage buildings so when I saw I had a pre, uh it was it was a, a precon I was already uh, there was already a conception there about a Thai restaurant which has been bubbling away for the last four years given that my head chef at Libertine Savisa is Thai. She was born in Bangkok. And uh, 
I really want, I was so impressed by what she could do at Libertine with our French Vietnamese cuisine that I really was excited to explore what she would do in her own wheelhouse, um, going back to, you know, and, 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 and cooking the food that she cooked with her family and her grandmother when she was a little, all the, all the way since she was a little girl to now. So the location we took over for Naga is right on the Brisbane River. It's beautiful, it's big, it's open, it's airy, it's got beautiful views and uh, it just felt, there's a big open kitchen and it just felt like the right space for a Thai restaurant. You've got very different venues and quite a few of them. What was the impact on the various venues when the lockdown first happened? Well, when it first happened, I have to say, I think the mandatory closures were a bit of a godsend because being in this industry, it's, it, it can be it can be quite difficult and I think that at that time of the year it's not always the busiest time of the year either. So a lot of us in this industry would feel compelled to keep trying to move forward and a little bit further, potentially getting ourselves in a little bit more trouble financially or, or whatever. So um, I think the government mandatorily closing down the venues was really good because it, it, it also took a little bit of the, the pressure of us telling our staff that that's what we wanted to do. All of us treat for the most part, our staff like our family, and we, we, we really, really care about their futures and their uh, their well-being. So being told we had to do it took a bit of the pressure off us to, to do that and maybe saved us, some of us, from going a little bit further than we should have. What were some of the things you had to implement even after you were able to open again? Was, was there different models created for the various venues that you do have? Uh, absolutely. We looked at each uh, venue on its own merits uh, for what we were going to do, obviously, for the you know for the first couple of months, there was a lot of uncertainty about what may how it may happen. And if you recall, we were talking about not opening anything for six months. So there was all that concern. I think the um, the jobkeeper aspect really kind of put a lot of people at ease a little bit. Um, but what was really unique about COVID was that it was almost like a freeze frame, we could, in a, a moment of time of your business could be sectioned off and you could actually look at it from all these different angles, which you never normally get the opportunity to do because you're always moving forward with it and thinking about the future. But to see it all in a, in a snapshot in time was really wonderful uh, from a couple of perspectives. Um, for Libertine uh, specifically, Libertine's been operating now for 15 years. It started in King's Cross in 2005 and we brought it up to Brisbane in 2009. So it's, it's been through the GFC, it's been through COVID now. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's paid its dues, that's for sure. But it keeps kicking along. But uh, one of the interesting things was when I stopped, I, I, I was thinking to myself, when did I put, why did I put five beer taps? When, when did that happen? <laughs> you know? And when did, when, did I, when did the coffee machine turn up? What happened there? So... Over time, these decisions make sense um, incrementally. They make sense. But when you look at them as a whole, it's kind of like, wow, I've really gotten away from the concept of doing my Vietnamese coffees and making that a point of difference. Um, I was never really all about doing a, a draft beer, but now I've got five beer taps. So gave me the opportunity to stop and reassess. And all those little things too always add a little bit more labour. There's a little bit more cleaning required. There's a little bit more uh, wastage potentially. There's, there's all these things that you do have a tendency sometimes to adopt things that may not be the best thing for the business overall, but you feel like they are at that time. Um, and you might be swayed by other influences. So I came back, ripped out the coffee machine. We took out the kegs and the draft beer. We've only got one beer on tap now. And that 
is bringing Libertine back to where it used to be, where, where we started the concept without the layer upon layer kind of sedimentary kind of um, uh, uh, incremental increases in things that we've done here. So we paired it back and it was really, really nice to do that again. And has this happened across the board with all of your venues? So yeah, the, the Gresham was another instance where obviously not being able to step up to a bar in a bar, <laughs> it's an issue. And we, the Gresham has won uh, one bartender, uh, bartender magazine bar of the year twice in a row. And it was, it's been a really, really wonderful addition to the Brisbane, I think, uh, uh, drinking kind of scene. And one of the wonderful things about it was after seven years, it's really matured. And post-COVID gave us the opportunity to stop a little bit, take a breather and think about what our customers really want. And what we really provide, I think, at the Gresham, which is fantastic, is a, a wonderful knowledge of whiskies and spirits and cocktails and, and, and things like that. Oftentimes, when you're in a bar situation, everyone's lined up. Our, our staff, our wonderful, knowledgeable staff, don't get the opportunity to show their wares because they're generally in a hurry to get drinks out. So we pivoted. And uh, that's, a, that's a word that hasn't been used much, is it? Um, <laughs> so we pivoted to, uh, to a New York style of table service where it's more, it's kind of like a restaurant where you get, everyone gets a menu when they sit down um, because everyone has to be seated in the bars. They get a menu. Our staff are now like the waiters almost and they come over and they have the opportunity to talk to you at your table about the different whiskies you might have questions about, about the different cocktails. And as a result, while we have less people, which is a requirement under restrictions, our check average has increased. And people are staying longer because they don't want to give up their seat to all the people who are waiting outside to come in. So it's had a really interesting knock-on effect. And I think I feel like the Gresham is where, after seven years, it has matured into a venue that can do something like this table service um, uh, concept. Given the restrictions that are still in place and the impact on places like pubs and bars. And how do you feel about them moving forward given that's an area where people usually socially interact and um, elbow to elbow at a bar or seeing a live band? Do you feel like that that model is going to change in the near future? I think it will for the near future and I think it will for a little while to come because I think regardless of how some people feel there, there's going to be a number of people who feel the residual effects of the social distancing and maybe still feel that being in large crowds could expose them to, um, you know, to, to illness or anything like that. So I think it will have an effect, but I love the hospitality industry and in general, it's an incredibly creative uh, bunch of people. So if, you, if, if any obstacles that are put up uh, in front of anyone in hospitality they generally, they'll go under it, they'll go over it, they'll go around it, or they'll smash through it. So I have no doubt that there will be some sort of hybrid um, uh, concept that comes out and about uh, as a result of this in, in the bars and clubs. And I think it'll be for the, for the betterment of the customer base at the end of the day. But converse of that is the landlords and, 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 and the developers who hopefully is starting to realise that for long-term tenancies, we need to have, at the rents that people are paying sometimes, you need to have people shoulder to shoulder or, or, or crammed into smaller spaces because every seat that you have in a restaurant is, is basically income and higher rents mean we have to have more people in them. So 
hoping that um, that the, the landlords and developers and so on will, will, will really look at getting operators who can spend the duration of their lease there with, with some cooperation and some understanding about what their requirements are financially. What's it like in Brisbane at the moment? It's certainly um, coped a lot better or had a marginally better experience than Sid Sydney and Melbourne in regards to cases and, and fatalities. Um, what's the sense in the city at the moment? Does it feel almost back to normal? The city still feels a little quiet. Um, uh, I think that there's still a lot of people who are at home um, and, do, and working from home. It certainly doesn't have the same vibrancy that it did prior to COVID, but of course, winter in Brisbane <laughs> is, uh, is an interesting time. If you're from Brisbane, uh, winter, you, if you're not from Brisbane, winter here feels like an Indian summer if you're from anywhere else. But for, for people from Brisbane, it's freezing, man. So we don't go, <laughs> we don't go out a lot in winter anyway. So I think that if, uh, if um, and generally that's because we've got board shorts and singlets on in, in, all, all the way through winter as well, complaining about how bitterly cold it is. Um, well, I'm in Canberra, so I don't feel sorry for you. <laughs> Fair enough. But, you know, we're coming out of, I think if it was going to happen at any time, our winter was probably the best time for it to happen to us. It has been really well contained here. So there is a, a, a certain level of optimism around not just our industry, but, uh, you know, all the other industries and people coming out and, uh, and dining out again. You know, the beautiful spring days have just started. We're going into summer. I think it kind of, you know, it, it, it's it's an absolute travesty that this has happened, uh, and and it's and it's hurt a lot of customers. But if you were to talk about timing for for people, I think people in Brisbane, um, we, it couldn't have really kind of gone much better for us, um, you know. And 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 out my heart, and I know a lot of people in the industry up here, uh, their heart goes out to you know the people in Sydney, in, Mel in Sydney and Melbourne in particular because the second wave was something we absolutely dreaded, all of us, in, in, in all states. You've been a huge influence on the industry in Queensland. How much has it changed for you in the last decade or so? It's, a, a decade is a long time, and I've been back up in Brisbane, yeah, since 2009, and I've seen the dining, particularly the dining scene, has really, really, uh, really burgeoned and it's been um it's been wonderful to watch because it keeps everyone competitive and and, and we're competing i think we're competing extremely well if not better than uh, the likes of sydney and melbourne as well we've really i think we've really risen to um to the levels that they once upheld um i think the introduction of great precincts like howard smith wharfs has put uh, not only brisbane on the on the national map but of course the international map um, and I think that, you know, when, when we had the Gresham was winning awards uh, for, for the nightlife and also uh, I think Lefty's also won an award. So three years in a row, um, Brisbane bars were winning awards. Fortunately, I think that was, has been affected by some of the licensing um, decisions with the, with the uh, ID scanners and things like that. Um, but I would hope that we continue on, on, on our upward journey in terms of the service, um, the food, the concepts that are coming out. And I really, really feel like more than ever, Brisbane is really, well, not just a national stage, it's on an international stage. And there's some really, really good operators up here. And there's some great operas, operators that are coming up here as well. So um, 
you know, it, I think once people from Sydney and Melbourne come up here and they get a taste for the weather and the climate uh, and the beaches, it's, you know, it's, it, it, it's, it's pretty hard to leave. You mentioned how much you love hospitality. How did you get a start in the industry? I started back in around 1989 as a young uh, uni student, but also I got the opportunity, which was highly sought after, very, very difficult to get as a glassy at Fridays. Wow. Um, <laughs> which was, uh, so you had to know someone. And uh, thankfully I did, and I got a shot, and I worked there for a little while as a glassy and then became, went into the bar. And But very soon I was a duty manager, quite young duty manager. And coming from an all-boys school where I was fairly shy and a bit retiring, um, to be suddenly thrust into a working environment with some of the most charismatic, crazy, wild people I've ever met uh, was absolutely gobsmacking to me, but it was so enthralling and so attractive. And, and it was just, uh, it was like another world that I'd ne I didn't know existed. And, uh, and it was just, it was, it was an amazing time. Um, responsible, <laughs> responsible service of alcohol was just being introduced back in those days. Um, and so it was just a really wonderful time and there was a lot of camaraderie and a lot of teamwork around working together in late nights and early mornings and, and, and you know, uh, it, was, it was a really wonderful time to be in hospitality and, uh, and it stuck with me. I couldn't really commit to what I had intended to do, which is along journalism or marketing lines. I really felt that I loved being involved in making sure that people had a great time knowing that you, you know, by the way that you acted and the way that you, you, you interacted with, with guests could really, really affect in a really positive way the experience they've had in a venue that you were working in. Were there some key moments or venues you worked at that changed your life in regards to the industry? Two that stand out. Um, the first one was my first ever restaurant that I did uh, on, uh, with, with my, my a business partner at the time, a good friend. Uh, it was a restaurant called Joe Diamonds, which we opened in two th 1999, just before the Olympic Games in Sydney. And uh, I went down to Sydney to actually open this with, with uh, this friend of mine. And it was a really, really popular venue. It was really, really exciting. Uh, we got really good uh, uh, traction. Lots of, we'd walk in every Thursday and Friday, Saturday night. There'd be a lineup out the front to get in. But, and then the Olympics hit town and really put a big, a massive dent in our, in our patronage. So we actually never recovered from it and, uh, and we had to close the business down, unfortunately. But at that time too, I really didn't know much about business. I could, I could run a team of people and I could run, I could manage and then I knew about hospitality, but I didn't know about business. So I went into that one a bit eyes wide shut. As a result of that, closing down, I was invited to be the first general manager of the Australian franchise of Wagamama restaurants. So Wagamama at the time, and I didn't even know, I actually said to the guy who asked me if I'd wanted to do it, I said, what the F is a Wagamama? I'd never heard of it. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> but I said yes, because I was unemployed at the time. So, um, so the, uh, the idea was that I would go to London for three months and I worked with people like Ian Neal, Paul O'Farrell, who started Wagamama from where it was and took it to the, the absolute behemoth that it was. I got sent to Orlando to, uh, to, to, to do courses uh, at the University of Central Florida. 
uh, with some of the best operators in the world. And there, there was this huge dichotomy between, it was a before and after shot. You know, Joe Diamonds was a before shot. Libertine, uh, sorry, Wagamama was the kind of the during shot. This is where I learned about business and about cost of sales and productivity and all those wonderful things and marketing. And then um, Wagamama was fantastic. And we opened the first one in... Um, Queens, Queens, Kings Wharf down at um, in Sydney, right on the water. And then we got those up to about six or seven stores when that's when the opportunity came in to do my own thing again. And I, I really loved the Wagamama experience, but it, there wasn't enough creativity or, or there wasn't enough control for me. And I really wanted to get out and, and, and put my own stamp on it. Wagamama was a bit restrictive in that sense that we had to get um, a... You know, I had to get a response from the UK if we wanted to change anything on the menu. There were no cocktails, so, so to speak, back then. It was a very, but, but it was, a, it was a, and a fantastic business. It just happened to be a restaurant. So I kind of learned, I, I could go back and I could look at Joe Diamonds and know all the things that I, sh I didn't know back then and, I, and the things that I didn't know that I didn't know. So... It was a really, Wagamama really kind of catapulted me into the numbers behind it all and knowing your numbers and figures and, and costs and how, what, everything, what everything costs. So those two side by side were, and both of them equally as important to my, my journey in hospitality, I think. Running one venue has its challenges, but what's some of the challenges involved in running so many venues like you do? The challenges are maintaining consistency, which is something we really, really work on within our group, um, obviously with so many different personalities running different businesses. Um, so that, uh, consistency would be, I think, it's always, it's always under threat, but it's something that we, we are so top of mind about that I think you would find that most people would say that we would have, they would have fairly consistent experiences per venue. Um, the... I think at the end of the day, too, one of the, the greatest assets that we have is our staff and particularly our operations manager and our marketing t team. Um, they all work really closely. We really, really work hard on communication. Communication is really key. And they then that me the messages are clear and they filter down. But we also let the messages filter up to us as well. We want to know what our staff are thinking. We want to know what their ideas are. Sometimes... Uh, some of the greatest ideas come from the people who are serving a food or, um, or, or making a cocktail. So we, we really encourage communication both ways. Um, and we always try to create... I always like to create a menu that on every single item on that menu is something you would want to go back for. There's no room for ego in our business. Um, we want... I think if you asked a waiter who worked at Libertine or Walters or Popolo... Um, they would be happy to serve every dish, but I know I've worked in a lot of places where there's some dishes. As soon as you, as soon as the person orders them, you kind of think to yourself, "Oh no, there's 50-50 chance this is going to go terribly wrong." But we don't want to have that. We want to have a menu where, and, and generally that that dish is the one that catered to the chef's ego. And we just want to have menus that go. That if you look at it and you read it, you think everything on here is something I would uh, that appeals to me. So we're going to come back two or three times, and by that time. We've got them on the hook, I hope, and now they've become regular customers. Given the second lockdown in Melbourne and the ramifications of that, how do you see the industry in the next year or two and the, and the issues that may uh, come to the fore? I think there's going to be a level of cautiousness 
Um, I think functions and large gatherings, as you, as you alluded to before, the bars and clubs, are going to be something that maybe um, take a little while for confidence to come back into that particular side of hospitality. Um, in the meantime, I think some of the great things about this is obviously, I, you know, we love the hand sanitising and all those kind of things that um, that have become uh, part of the part of the processes now. Uh, I think people will want to continue to see those types of things, um, you know. And uh, we, and I just, I think, look, I think too. I think the customer base has become, I don't know. I think that they've seen a. There's a bit more empathy around going out now towards our staff, and 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 they know that we've been through a fairly uh, rough time, and as 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 of our customers. So both sides of that have a certain empathy for each other now, and I think that that is. I think people are a little bit more tolerant when things don't go according to plan, and I would hope that um, it continues down that track. You know, we we do this because we love to make sure that people have a good time. We never ever, <laughs> there's never a situation coming in where we just think, oh, you know what, that table over there, I'm just going to give them lousy service today, just on purpose. We make mistakes like everyone else, but for the most part, people are in this industry because they do love people, they do like to look after people, but. Um, certainly, they don't like to be treated like servants. So, I'm, I'm, I think there's a lot of empathy for the for the industry. Uh, I think there's a lot more um, there, there's a lot more tolerance for maybe providing a little bit more information or uh, support for bookings that that, that, that come through, um, providing you know um, potentially for larger group bookings, deposits, and things like that. So, I think um, I think there's some changes there that are, that'll probably stay around. Has this period of time changed the operations of the company and the plans for it moving forward? Look, not really. Um, you know, Warren Buffett always said, you know, uh, you know, be confident when other people are fearful or, you know, buy when other people sell. And I think that there are going to be a huge number of opportunities um, for hospitality and probably people in other industries as well. But I think there's going to be a lot of, a lot of opportunities for us to capitalise on over the next year or so, um, I think that hospitality is 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 a difficult industry to get into, particularly for those without experience. And I think that it might even be a little bit tougher for people who don't have that experience or knowledge to get into. Um, I think it's going to be harder to get subsidised or bank loans or investors to 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 to, to drop money into businesses like hospitality in the next next year or so because I think they would see them as high risk. So it probably means that the people who have experience, who have been doing this for a little while, are probably going to have a bit more opportunity um, to, um, to to jump on some great you know, leases or locations. I also think for the same reasons, developers and landlords are going to be looking more towards the more experienced um, uh, operators who can see out who have the ability to see out a lease. So, yeah, I think there's going to be opportunities. And I think um, as far as we're looking at everything that comes across our desk, and we always have, um, I'm intrigued by what's, what, what may become available or what is available. Cautious as well, but this could be a time to, to be confident instead of fearful. You're responsible for the livelihood of so many people that work for you. How have you felt personally during this time with the obligation to them and also the 
uncertainty over your businesses through some of the periods? I uh, something that we you know um, so my business partners Paul and Dennis in the Gresham and uh, Poplo and Walters, we and then I I own uh, Libertine and Naga with my wife, but the three of us independently and 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 and, and together was one of the first conversations we had when we got locked down is what what do we do? Uh, how do we make this transition for our staff as 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 easy as possible and or not as easy as possible how are we how are we there for them so we we were very very we had a, there was a lot of communication through our facebook pages and things like that stuff facebook pages with our staff we 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 let them know that we were there for them if they wanted to chat financially whatever we could do to make this period as uh not easy but but bearable and to let them know that we, we we hadn't forgotten them, and we weren't concerned for our we were concerned for our own families, but they are our family as well, and we wanted to treat them as such. And I think we did that really well. I think um, it's it's easy to get caught up in the stress of closing down a business and your own future and all those thoughts and and the uncertainty. So it's easy to kind of really kind of you know um, be insular about it, I guess, and just look at look at how it's going to affect you personally. But we were very mindful right from the word go as a group that we really wanted to be as communicative and as open and as transparent and as available and approachable as possible. Oh, and, and, and I think it worked out well for us because every single one of our employees came back to work for us after that period finished and we got the we got the doors open. We let them know when we, we were thinking about getting reopened and we were really we, we really wanted them to come back and get in back into working with us as quickly as possible. Is there anything uh, during this time that surprised you about yourself? And is there positives to come out of out of this? I think for me, I got into this business because I wanted to be independent and I wanted to do my own hours and spend more time with my family and I've certainly done the first two of those um, but the I, I, COVID for me was almost a zen-like period in that weirdly for the first time that I can remember I didn't have the white noise of in the going on in the background of my mind of businesses being open the the you know the nine o'clock phone call from a manager and everything that races through your mind of what it might be and generally isn't but even on holidays you're responding to emails and phone calls and texts and and in the back of your mind there's always it, it's operating so you're nervous there's a nervousness that always is sitting in the back of your mind it's like that i guess for any business owner but for the first time i can remember it was complete radio silence and i just felt like oh my god i felt at peace for a while and uh and it was really nice because then I could spend the time, I was spending time at home with my, my kids because uh, they were away from school, of course. And it was just a really, really lovely time. And actually, so it was that time was, it's going to serve as a reference point for me for the rest of my life, knowing that sometimes I've got to remember why I'm doing this is to spend more time with my family. And yet, oftentimes, it doesn't work out that way. So... It was a really, it, it, it cleared my mind. It made me understand what it's like to be, at, you know, really peaceful. 
and really, um, just really uh, content. And I know it seems like I'm I'm quite ambitious at the moment because I was opening Naga, but that was also happening prior to COVID. Um, but the ambition ambition generally means never being content. So, at what what price does this ambition continue? You know, and and, and I think that. I really want to get things to a level where I can actually be content. I really want to get to a situation where I'm really um, uh, giving my managers the opportunity to run the businesses. Because giving the opportunity to run someone else's business is, is gold. Um, you know, uh, and, and I really want to give them the opportunity that I was given when I was younger to, to, to look at the businesses in a bit more detail and know what things cost um, and to know how to market, because I would hope that sometimes these guys would maybe want to go out and, and, and they can end up doing what I've done, which is going out and owning their own businesses and, and, and having the confidence to run them. Because that's what I think Australian business is built on and the economy is built off the back of a lot of small to medium businesses or people like myself who want to have a little bit of autonomy but they don't want to work. They, they want to provide jobs for other people, not necessarily work for other people. And I think that um, the more people we can embolden to do that and give them the tools, the better at the end of the day. You mentioned earlier that on your menus, every dish needs to be one that's worth coming back for. And with Naga, is there a dish that you think stands out in that sense and will draw people back to? Well, we've only been open one day and I could also <laughs> I could almost categorically state that the Morton Bay Bug Pad Thai wow. has been absolutely beautifully received. Uh, and not only that, there's a, Savisa has done a maximum beef cooked inside a house-made milk bun, which is then oven roasted, or oven baked, I should say. And then uh, it's brought to the table, it's nice and hot, you cut into it, and, it's, and then it's provided with a maximum curry on the side and a bit of cornichon. And people are just loving it. So <laughs> already there's a real uh, there's a real slant towards those dishes. So um, hopefully people will, will will do that for a little while and explore a bit more on the menu. But if they don't, hey, I'm happy either way. Amazing. Well, Andrew, um, thank you so much for your time. Um, we've loved having you on Deep in the Weeds. Extraordinary um, set of circumstances, and good luck with Naga. Um, Keep in touch and we'll talk again soon. Mate, I'd love to and I really, really enjoyed it and thank you for the opportunity. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's hospo community, suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.